welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Thank you for tuning in for the next in our series, Rebel with a Cause, with me, Opal Turner. For this series, we are talking about the relationship between creativity and strategy, or in my other words, art, science and logic. It's my pet theory that strategy and planning can be a creative secret best weapon, and vice versa, and we overly separate the disciplines in our industry. And with me today is the glorious Lex Hearth, Lex is, in short, a multidisciplinary creative. She is currently a musician and brand strategist, though her background is in ad account management at agencies like BBH and in digital marketing at Nike. Big breath, because there's more to come. It doesn't stop there, though. She has presented and produced multiple seasons of her own podcast, is building a community for people growing social platforms. She's now writing her own book, Everything I Know About Marketing, and has DJed the entire time. So it is such a pleasure to have you and your many, many talents with us today, Lex. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So nice. I am so, so excited for our for our chat. So let's get straight into it. Um, let's just start le- with with learning about you and all of these different strands of you. Can you just bring to life some of that journey for us? Because I've just wheeled off about a million things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think someone, one of my good friends the other day described me as a true creative soul. And I thought that was lovely and I think it's very true. Um, and I, so I, after I graduated, I studied drama and English, um, at Bristol and then I went into advertising because I wanted to work in a creative industry, but one where I could feel like I was constantly progressing in my career and well, the other creative industries I was looking at, such as like TV, there were people's careers I was looking at where they'd been like a runner for three years or something. And I just knew because I'm quite an ambitious individual that I'd be frustrated with not having, not being able to see my career as a ladder that I could kind of keep climbing. So I saw advertising as almost like this blend of creativity with having that kind of like commercial side that I also uh, wanted to have in my profession. So went into advertising. Um, I started at a small agency and I, I literally started as soon as I finished university. So I didn't really have a summer break. I started, I interned and then um, didn't really take any time off, kind of just went straight from job to job to job. Um, my first main job was in advertising uh, at Leo Burnett, but in Sydney, Australia. Um, and that was working on Samsung. And then after that, I came back to London, went to BBH and I was at BBH for four years I think um and then just over I think maybe five years and then I went to Nike but when I was at BBH I kind of had I had this this moment in my personal life where I felt like I was working in advertising not always working on very creative things and I had this I had this real like ambition to make stuff and to fulfill things I was passionate about and I just was like looking I always thought that I would like I always thought that I would at some point kind of like go and do the creative thing, like go and be a musician or, or pursue what I really loved. But, you know, I wanted to be in London. So I was like, I'm just going to work this out at some point. And I just looked at my life from the outside and I was like, all I do is my nine to five job. And then I go to the pub or I like see my friends. And so every Sunday I'd be having this like personal crisis of like, where did DJing go? Like, what? why is that not moving for me? Um. And it really was like a, a very hard moment for me of just like the need to change. Um, so I completely changed my life, really. And it sounds dramatic because it's not like I was like an alcoholic or an addict. 
But what I what I hadn't worked out was how to make things happen alongside a full time job. So then I basically withdrew from a lot of my social stuff and outside of work, I started building my own platforms. And the first platform that I built was called Cleopatra's, which was a digital magazine. And basically it started as a blog and it was unpacking this idea of like, how can we have passion so we don't fully explore? Um, and and how does our what we want get lost along the way? And how can we make sure that doesn't happen? Uh, and it was like, I wanted to understand for myself because I wanted to be, I wanted to have control over my destiny in essence. Like I wanted to know that everything I was doing was driven by me and not by, um, it's not chance, but like, you know when people just say they fell into something? I didn't want mine to be a story of falling into everything. I wanted it to be like I stroomed into everything I did. Um, so so I started that when I was at BBH. And then I think along that process, I really kind of came to understand and like understand myself and understand what I wanted. Um, but increasingly, I was like feeling this like friction between not having enough time to dedicate to it. I felt like I changed a lot as a person. As I said, I wasn't really drinking as much and I would like step back for a lot from that culture. But at the agency culture, at least that I was in, was very much centered around the social side was almost as important. So it was almost like you would kind of judge this idea of working my job and then wanting to leave work and go home and work on other stuff was not really accepted. And I felt like people were trying to stop me doing that. And it was a very uncomfortable feeling for me. And it was just time for me to move on. I was also, I'd always been interested in going client side. But when you go client side, you're obviously working for one brand. When you're agency, you kind of get to try lots of different things. But once you go client side, you're like, this is really what I'm working on. So you need to, or at least for me, I needed to really believe in that brand. And um, yes, through, I think, a fortunate set of circumstances. I mean, I always think like, I work, all the time to try and expand my pool of luck but any opportunity that you get ultimately always feels like luck because why did that thing come up at that time but I, I literally like made a decision in December that I was leaving um I wasn't handing my notice but I was like this is my time to move on and do something else and then I, I applied for the role a role came up at Nike in January and it's a really small marketing team in the UK because most of it is in global or Europe because um, I, I remember when I went, people were like, yeah, I don't know anyone who works for Nike. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. It's funny how it's such a big organization, but actually, because the UK team is relatively small. Um, so I went there and I was there for uh, three and a half years. And yeah, as I said, alongside that, I then got into this pattern where I knew how to build alongside working a full-time job. And music is like my um, driving force. I think that's the thing I love more than anything. Uh, so I've been DJing, increasingly taking that more seriously. I've become very interested in the gender imbalance in the music industry, which is very extreme. And so my podcast, Hot Girls, I started really to unpack that issue further. And it's always like, I guess this is the central theme of the work that I've done uh, with Cleopatra's and Hot Girls of like, why are things the way they are when there could be a better way for them to be? And as a sort of investigative guinea pig like I'm going to work out why that is and then I'm going to try and fix it <laughs> so so yeah so that was Hot Girls did that for two years um and I uh, was at Ikea and one of the things that I really learned from that was that the biggest issue and the biggest determiner of the uh, of progression in the music industry was production there was like two to three percent of producers in the um billboard top 100 over two years was female 97 was male and like that is 
insane when you think about like that it, i mean that's I how, it's a little bit nauseous that's how deep that's how bad it is yeah it's it's bizarre isn't it it's really bizarre um you can't see me she has shot <laughs> she has shot face i have she's broken me like i knew it was bad but that is obscene yeah um yeah and so i was like production is that's the problem there's not enough women actually making the beats and making the music and that then stems into everything because if you've got loads of guys making beats who are they sending those to they're sending them to their mates who typically tend to be male so you have this whole like ecosystem and because i saw that the biggest gap was in production i was like that's really where we need to start increasing the the number of women of course there are issues in every area of the music industry literally every area is male dominated and like particularly up, you know, stagehands, techies, sound engineers. Um, so it really is through the board. But production was the kind of the bit that because I was really DJing, it was also super interesting for me and um, just like expanding my abilities as a DJ and as a creative in that sense. So I started producing music as well. And then um, I feel a little bit like my whole journey was kind of leading to that. And part of me wishes I'd started doing it when I was 18. But obviously, I didn't know any female producers. So or any producers at all. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing that. And then I signed my first record deal the beginning of last year. Um, and that was kind of, that's kind of it. And then where I'm at now is um, I made the decision to leave Nike at the end of last year um, because I felt like I was at just this this part in my career where I had to pick a path, um, whether I was going to move through the business or whether I was going to try and uh, move kind of independent of that I, I felt like the two couldn't really coexist in the same way anymore um and yeah that's that's me <laughs> and so i i want to i want to dig into to where you're at now and and that decision to leave Nike and go freelance but before we go into that i'm just wondering you know, when you did go through that experience, it sounds like you were very cognizant and conscious of of the entire journey that you were going on as you tried very in, like very intently, very consciously to put this energy and time into all of your other interests, all of your other skills, all of your other talents. Is there any specific ways that you found made the most difference in making that possible as well as doing the full-time job at the time? You know, obviously, it's not hugely sustainable over a long time. Otherwise, you probably would have still be doing it. But you know, for anyone who's in that position at the moment, trying to find their feet in different areas, is there any like kind of top tips that you have for for trying to make that work? Um, I have, I think, two top tips. One is a simple, practical one, and one is a little bit more emotive. Um, I think the the emotive one is really just about decision. Like, it, I think it really is just decision and commitment. To that decision and I made a decision that I believed that I could create things and I could do them to a good standard and I wanted to know how far things that I believed had a place in the world could go um, and so as soon as you start doing something what happens is you unfold a how much needs to be done to actually make it, you know, how much work is involved in actually getting it where you want to, but also how possible it is for you to do that. And so as soon as I'd started building, you know, clear patches, which I'm not really running at the moment, which was a digital magazine, but the best thing about that was it taught me that I 
to do everything that was necessary to build a digital magazine. Of course, I didn't have the time to do it to the level that I would have liked or or, or to get it to kind of Refinery29, let's say. Um, but in terms of like making it happen, I think sometimes before you've actually built your own creative projects, you think that there must be this kind of like magic knowledge that someone else who's built something has that you don't have. And my podcast was huge for this. Like I had, I knew nothing about how to create a podcast. I was that person, you know, I was on YouTube, like how do you create a podcast? I went for a coffee with a friend who worked in podcasts. He gave me a bit of advice. But ultimately it comes down to you finding the microphone, finding people to come on to it, working out your voice, writing the questions and just taking it step by step, working out how the distribution works. Like, And... And as soon as you've done one thing, then you know how to approach every other task. So from an emotional point of view, just making a decision that you deserve to to be able to create something to put it out into the world and um, that your voice is valid in whatever space you would like it to. And um, then from a practical side, I um, you have to find time. And so my ways of finding time is basically I didn't watch TV. Um, that's just like really simple, but I, I basically didn't watch TV for like two years. Um, I would occasionally watch movies, but really not very much. That gives you loads more time. And um, I would work in the mornings and uh, on the weekend. And that's kind of just, that's just what you have to do. I would get up um, because I always found the mornings like a super time. It was, that was my, mornings were like my superpower because uh, nobody can take them from you. Whereas the evening people can take from you and people do take from you when you're in a full-time job. But the morning, if you get into the office at nine then no one knows what you've done before that. So if you get up at six, you can actually get an hour or two's work done before you go into the office. And when I was building things, that was my magic time because then whatever happened with the rest of my day, I knew that I'd had that time. And I actually, I built that discipline from exercise. I used to exercise a lot. When I was like stressed and I was like, <laughs> I had these passions, I wasn't doing anything with them. I used to exercise to kind of like burn it out, I think. <laughs> So I used to get up and go to the gym in the morning. So I'm not as fit as I used to be, but I think I'm mentally fitter. Um, but yeah, so, so that's that's how I made it work for myself. I think that's fascinating. And I think that's going to be kind of a theme throughout our conversation because Lex and I have actually met and, and chatted a couple of times before. And I think one of the themes is absolutely going to be that kind of knowledge and sense of self because, you know, you know it, it is... You know, it's also even from a, like a biological perspective, like I'm not a morning person. My body does not function at that pace. I'm a night owl. It's just how I am. So I've had to learn over the years doing the various things that I've done. What are the hours in the evening that I can get away with doing? You know, I also have various health conditions. So like how how much can I do when without suffering, blah, 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 blah. And I genuinely think that if someone had just said it's okay to figure out how it works for you by just trial and error. No one actually has however many leadership podcasts, books, etc., etc. Entrepreneurs spouting that they have the answer. You've just got to try it until you figure out what works for you. It takes time and some of it doesn't work. But we all did that. Just to be really, really clear with anyone listening, we've all done it wrong and done it badly and you know messed ourselves up and so on and so forth but you do get there in the end and you just have to trust yourself that you will you will do that and so I'm very confident that will be a theme throughout um but it's been about six months since you went freelance is that 
correct? So I'm wondering, have you got any lovely learnings on that? You know, what is the art and science of going freelance? Because many are considering it. You know, we were just talking about the episode um, with Ollie Scott. Lots of people are increasingly going freelance because of the levels of, you know, autonomy and freedom and so on and so forth. And I just would love to know what your kind of experience in that very early period has been, because I feel like we only talk or hear from people who have been freelance for a really long time. So I'm quite excited to know what your takeaways have been in what I hear is the most hectic period, which is the first six months. <laughs> yeah. Um and and just before that, I just just to add to what you were saying about finding what works for you. You're so I completely agree. Like there is no. I used to study like morning routines of billionaires about all this kind of thing, trying to figure out if there was a magic formula. Then you try something, you're like, this doesn't work for me, or this isn't sustainable for me. And yeah, absolutely. Like, but if you if you, if you want to make things happen, you just just about working out what is sustainable for you, what's rewarding. Because if it's not rewarding, then you're not going to be able to keep it going. So, yeah, just to say I completely agree. And I know that not everyone is a morning person. Uh, and most people in music are very much not morning people. <laughs> most people don't want to make house music at 6am. So I get that. Um, but, yeah, in terms of that transition. So, it, and it's really interesting. I don't know what you think about this, but this word freelancer. So I, last night, I was um, I was mentoring for an event uh, between the Dots and uh, Apple uh, and it was that it was it was uh, freelancers and uh, people starting their own businesses and kind of supporting them. And I guess in one sense, in the sense of freelancer of being a free not a free agent but not super attached to any one thing. I think in that way I've been a freelancer for quite a long time, and um, because I've been building things, multiple things. But then there's the structural way of being a freelancer, which basically just means you do three months on three months off or or you know you, you move around to lots of different places get to try a lot of different things um pros and cons well firstly i mean for me and i don't i don't know if uh well we were talking a little bit about it earlier so i think you are finding the same as you move through your career you start to become more specialist and when i was um in account management at an agency that would have been a very easy time for me to go freelance and just jump around different agencies because I had this kind of tradable skill set and I wasn't really, um, you know, I could have picked up a different kinds of briefs, worked on different kinds of clients because at that point I was. Now at this point, I've become a little bit more perfect for one thing and a bit too, well, I had a public voice to a degree, um, which is going to not be attractive to some companies or some brands or they'll be like oh interesting but like oh a bit kooky or i don't know you know it's it's if it if it's not them you know like nike has a very specific brand voice um which is what attracted me to it but not every brand has that voice you know like some people aren't invested in individual growth or whatever it is um so i the way that I had to do it and the way that I'm approaching it is I, so actually when I initially uh, went, I really didn't have a long-term plan. I had a three-month plan, but I knew that that three-month plan needed to happen. And that was, I was going to leave Nike and I was going to step away from London for a few months. Um, and I went to the countryside where I knew it would cost me a lot less. And I just made music intensely because I needed to rapidly increase the speed at which I could produce. That was like my primary aim was to get good and to get fast. Um, 
then I wanted to kind of come back to London and I wanted to maintain everything that I was doing in marketing as well uh, because my kind of idols are people like Virgil Abloh, Zane Lowe, uh, Jay-Z, um, people that are in some ways like creative mavericks, but they kind of do it all. They do the business side and they do the creative side. Um, and so that's kind of what, I, that's that's sort of my vision for my future not necessarily to that level or to that visibility, but like to to kind of keep everything moving. Um, but yeah, so in terms of how I approach being freelance, I thought that I would be happy doing something for money. And I had a lot of conversations with various people and I was like, I'm going to just try it, reach out to people I'm inspired by, but ultimately my focus is music and I'll just do whatever I need to do to make money. Then the briefs come in to me that are things that I could do for a couple of months to bring some cash in. And I found them so utterly uninspiring that I just couldn't bring myself to say, yep, like I'll go forward for that. Um, so I was a bit nervous. I had like a few weeks uh, and I know a few weeks doesn't sound long at all because I didn't really start exploring this until February. So I really gave myself like three or four months to surely I had my mirror board. I built my part, like my life strategy. Like, I mean, how do, when do you get the time to do that? You don't get the time to do that when you're working full time at a company. Um, so I'd done all that thinking and then I started reaching out and then yes, I was getting these really dry briefs and I was getting nervous because I was like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to have to take one of these jobs. I'm probably going to find it quite soul destroying. How is that then going to impact my ability to keep creating? Because if you're not in a mentally good space, I mean, it's kind of the opposite of what people think. But for me, if I'm not in a mentally good space, I don't have the confidence. You know, it's incredibly, it takes a lot of self-confidence to create, to believe that your your voice is valid. Is valid. Um so I was worried about that. Anyway, long story short, uh, a very interesting role came up at the right time. I did one interview. There was supposed to be three interviews. They scrapped them. And, and it was just like a happy like meeting of minds. They were looking for someone with a very specific background that not many people have in terms of having the marketing background, but also having my fingers in the cultural pies, like understanding the music landscape of London um, and how that impacts globally um understanding creatives and understanding the way creative people think and operate and how important their art is to them which i think a lot of people don't understand um and so it so again kind of similarly with nike um and i hadn't started yet so let's see maybe it won't quite work out but it felt like the right thing came at the right time for me um but that probably is because I am so, um, I am very proactive and at the same time I have been doing like marketing workshops and, and kind of like keeping everything moving. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's definitely been a transition and because I loved, I loved where I was and that's a really hard thing to leave. Like that's a hard thing because I knew how lucky I was to work somewhere that I loved and somewhere that I admired, you know, I like going your career in advertising, Nike's like one of the brands, one of the brands that's, that everyone wants to work with, you know, like people that want to do an apple campaign and they want to do a nike campaign and then i went client side to that brand um so so to to have the or not really the audacity but I, to look at myself on the outside and be like wow like you really you really back yourself giving that up that thing that you love but i knew that i knew that it was my time so so yeah so it, it, i would say in terms of if people are thinking about going freelance i think it's good to understand who you are as a person like are you going to be happy to do work just money and take the risks that come with that but equally if you're not happy where you are or you want to explore something else 
you just move forward and the world will figure everything else out for you. Like sometimes it's just about you take the first step and then you don't, you don't, is that saying, you know, you don't need to see the whole staircase, but, but you need to know what your next step is. And if you feel like that is going freelance, you just will work out whatever that looks like for you. I believe that you will work it out. And like, I don't believe regrets. I think everything is, every move forward is a good move. And I'm interested, how how did you find your 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 background of like both kind of creative but also strategic but also, you know, just generally business-minded, entrepreneurial? How did all of those skill sets come into play? And what has the dynamic been between them during this process? Have you found that you kind of took the almost advertising planning process and applied that? to your your own brand and your own career or were you surprised by you know the way that what what were there any surprises that came from your own mind because it, it seems like you have such a clear sense of self and who you are and what you need but I'd love to know if there was anything that surprised you during that process um I think what surprised me during that process firstly I think it's really important I think the benefit I have from having the marketing background as much as anything is it gives me a framework to step back and look at the creative projects I'm building and assess them through. Uh, because I think today's landscape, particularly with promotion around any creative project, uh, the promotion side becomes very draining for people because it's so always on. There's this sense that like to perf- to succeed, you need to be like relentlessly doing it. Um, because with my podcast, I studied a lot of artists I guess it gave me a sort of a balanced perspective of I don't believe that you need to be always on and I actually, but I do think you need to have I think you can save yourself the emotional stress by having a plan. So I'm glad that I have that framework to be able to step back and be, and and apply how you apply a marketing campaign to my own work and kind of just try and separate myself from it. It's really hard to separate yourself and look at yourself from the outside. Um, even if, I mean, so many artists obviously give themselves a brand or an identity in the desperate attempt to try and do that, to be like, what is this project rather than what am I? Um, and actually that's one of the things that, um, the reason I'm, I'm writing, I guess it's an ebook, but it's really a guide is because I think that there's almost this gap between the lessons that you learn in, in Adland, uh, and even client side as a marketer and the lessons that you need to accelerate projects independently. So like, you know, if you've got, I know what to do with a one and a half million pound budget, but I also, I figured out what to do with a budget of nothing. And, and, you know, it, and, and a, a lot of people working in an, on an ad campaign would have no idea how to build a brand with no money. Um, and so it's kind of like trying to, trying to bridge that gap and make sense of that. In terms of learnings about myself, I... My emotions are probably a little bit more, my self-confidence is probably more fragile than I would like it to be. Um, and I think I've realized that it's important for me to have a bit, little bit more like some things, I'm not good at being, I'm good at being a bit uncomfortable. I'm not good at being really uncomfortable. Um, and so, uh, you know, I and on the one hand, I was talking to my friend about this, like I would love to be this kind of like, creative maverick who can just like live in the discomfort and know that something's going to come of it because they are the, this pure talent and it just will work out for them like I I don't I don't have that um and I 
I think women tend to be more um, vulnerable to that because I know a lot of people with a lot of self-confidence without a lot of backing. <laughs> and and I admire that, actually. I, I do because, like, you know, confidence is so important. Um, but I am someone who, like, I, I make myself confident purely through work. Like, I literally have, I basically just, just have this uh, thing that I'm just going to make sure I do everything to the absolute best of my ability. And then at least my confidence comes with a red haste of, like, I know my best ability is, I know I'm capable and I know if I work hard enough that I will create something good. But I I always just, like, want to create something great. And that requires, like, a different level of, like, constant uh, reassurance. So I think... Yeah, I've probably learned that I'm a little bit more uh, vulnerable to those sways than I would like to be. But what I know about myself is that I'm very gritty and I know that I'll keep going regardless. So I, what I don't have is a fear of me giving up, but I do have a fear of me succeeding in kind of air quotation marks because what is success and what, you know, is never really finished. Um, Irene, thank you for being so open about it because I feel like so many people are either like, I don't have very good self-confidence or I ha- or just don't even consider it because they have such good self-confidence that it never even occurs to them to talk, talk about it. Um, but I do find that it is, you know, and again, this is just my personal experience, but it is such a roller coaster ride. Mm. Like, especially, I think, when you have a lot of different things going on, um, just because obviously there's more input. So there's more, there's more chance to do well, but there's also mo- more chance to have to you know deal with the challenge to make like to fail in quotation marks um so i really appreciate the honesty of that because i think we need to talk about that more because i just i think honesty is is serves everyone but bravado serves only the person who's who's giving it you know it's so true and i think it's so it's it's interesting as well because everybody who um it's a complicated thing i think being a creative is quite similar to being an entrepreneur um, even if the entrepreneurial field that you're exploring is not a creative field in itself, like the the project is inherently creative. Building a company is a creative project. And, um, you know, most entrepreneurs have at least one, uh, most successful entrepreneurs have at least one failed startup before they have the second. And what happens after you have a failed startup is you really have nothing. Like you have this feeling that you've acquired knowledge, but you have nothing to show for it. And... Um, and that's tough. But actually, you've you've learned loads, but that's cool and that will serve you. But until you have a thing to show for it, sometimes it's quite hard to, to pick yourself back up again. Um, and I think that's where it, I think it is helpful for everybody to have open conversations. And I love creative communities and meeting people like yourself because you can be on the outside of each other and know what each other's capable of. And you can kind of, you know, help push and, and support through those phases where you go through that self-doubt and then it's like okay things come good for you but you also know you know you shouldn't be validated by your achievements but at some points you do feel like okay thank, thank goodness you know I wasn't just speculating <laughs> and it, I wasn't wrong I wasn't completely wrong I'm so with you um so the the through line you found across your work because obviously you know this gigantic list that we gave to everyone at the beginning um you know musician brand strategist account management digital marketing um podcast magazine writing a book you know not that much at all um what i i feel like i know the answer because you've kind of touched on it but 
What do you feel is the kind of through line across all of those different kinds of works? I think a lot of people think they think um, people with multidisciplinary kind of um, lives and work do different things in different places. But I often find there's actually a very similar theme across across them all. And I'm intrigued to see what you think that is um, for you and your work. Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking about this um, earlier. And I think the through line for me personally is um, is heart. It's like that kind of, um, it's belief in human potential. And, and that kind of is how I feel about individuals that I work with, how I feel about myself, how I feel about my friends and my family. And I want that to come through in all the work that I'm doing. I believe that you deserve to do exactly what you want with your life. And I believe that you can, and it's not going to look exactly how you want ever, but that in some way you can be driven by the heart and, 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 and that will propel and move through your decision, decision-making. And, um, as, and even in it, and if I look at that in the kind of how that comes through in the more kind of corporate commercial sense, um, working for a brand like Nike that made so much sense to me because it, it's there's a heart in the organization and one of the things that I loved about working there and this is also true with with a lot of my colleagues um that I worked with before that so I have such great relationships with some of them but where I do think Nike kind of stands apart is is the heart is actually in the in the company which whereas rather than in the few individuals within the company if that makes sense I'm sure there's I'm sure people listening will get what I mean with that the difference between those two things um and in all my personal projects they 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 come from love and they come from um, and I th- I suppose that's why it's it's enabled me to to work so hard and kind of put the hours in. It's it's just because there's there's so much like love in what I'm doing. It's not even a like. It's like I really really believe in those in in the messaging and the um in the impact of those things. But yeah, uh, with um with Nike with the way that the way it built its employees' career, for example, the way it cared about. Uh, how happy you were at work, how good your mental health was. Uh, that was a really, it, it, it was one of my favorite takeaways from working there because anything that I build from a company point of view, even that's like as a musician, you obviously have a company to a degree around you. So you have a lawyer, a manager, a, a booking agent, you have people who work on your marketing. And even though I'm in the early stages of it, I think whenever, it doesn't matter what stage you are, you have to set foundations according to your principles. And I want my team and in whatever however attached they are to me whether i'm working with them on a freelance basis or whether i'm working with them full-time i want them to to feel like they're working for something that is heart-centric and is is them centric you know like that will will enable them to live a happy to live happy and fulfilled in every touch point that i have with them um and maybe that sounds idealistic but i think if you want to move the world you have to be a little bit idealistic and I think because I've experienced that it's possible like I've had managers who really cared about me and I had managers who didn't care about me at all and I don't hold anything personal against the ones who didn't care about me at all but I don't maintain those relationships and and I don't have that much I guess that it's like I say I don't hold anything personal but I don't have massive respect for them as a manager um because I think part of your role as a manager is 
And obviously it depends how well you get on. Ideally, it's easier if, you know, most of my managers um, that I really got on with, they actually hired me or they brought me in. So it's kind of like they made the decision to trust in me from the start. Whereas sometimes, obviously, you're in a situation where you're working with someone that you don't quite connect. You wouldn't have gone for that person. But also, we know lots of people and I have it with friends, um, with family, like anyone I'm close to who who might be in a situation where their manager just has literally no time for them. And it, um, no, I, I can't, I probably shouldn't say this first episode, but somebody that I know very closely, I remember them saying to me like regularly, they've been trying to put half an hour catch up in with their manager for four months. And I thought that was like actually outrageous. Um, and I very much believe, and again, I'm, I'm kind of putting uh, this. This is uh, this idea will come through in the book, and I did a presentation on it the other day. But I don't believe that there's a difference between your marketing and yourself. Like uh, there is, of course, like how you how it forms and how it presents. But I think the values uh, start inside, and then they go outside, and um, because everybody that's working inside is understanding and digesting those, and then they're translating them into your marketing messages. And so I don't think you can outmarket. A bad company, it will eventually seep out. It does seep out, um, and they, and brands crumble. I'm I'm so with you. Like I think at least once a podcast at this point, I mentioned like internal branding and culture because I think it is so fundamental. And I think it um I think it's so much as well about your decisions about who you hire and who you promote. Like in terms of when you put it into into a corporate lens, um. I'd seen so many promotion decisions that were made out of laziness, that were made out of, like this person. And I, don't get me wrong, I do think, of course, you know, loyalty deserves um, deserves a response in terms of like promotion. You know, if someone's been there for a long time, they deserve to be moved through the company and that should be working. But train people, invest in them. And if somebody's not investing in their team, pull them up on it and train them in how to better invest in their team. You know, like I think... If you know that somebody's not going to be a great leader and not going to support the people underneath them, then promoting them is irresponsible or making them, putting them in a leadership position is irresponsible. And, and, I, and I've seen that happen a lot um, just because it was easier than fighting with them when they were trying, you know? And and so I think it's a lot about responsibility and sometimes it feels like the hard thing to do and everyone's, just on a practical level, everyone's time poor. And I think people use their time poorness, their stretchiness as an excuse. Um and obviously, the more profitable a company is, in a lot of ways, the more time it tends to have because it's not stretching the resources really thinly. And I think that's where a lot of things go wrong in the creative industries. The resources are so stretched. And because I've tried to build my own companies, I understand that. And I understand that it's hard. And I, and I understand that just because someone's got a shiny logo and they rent an office space, they still might be very stretched for resources if they're in a build-up phase. But... A, a good founder and a good leader risks everybody that they have that they have contact with. I think and, and wants to um, wants to make their work nice, you know, and wants it to be good and and trust that those people also want to do a really good job. And it's just about like make it, setting the framework up so it supports them. I think it's very important. Work hard and be nice to people. It's not that work hard and be nice. What you know, work smart. Even you know, you don't have to work hard. Just you know, put in the effort. The effort will come back to you. I have to believe that's true. It's so interesting that you mention um, kind of the creative industries and and what what you what are your thoughts on them now? I mean, having having had that like very physical step back in that you were literally not even in the city. You took that time away. I'm sure you were kind of fairly you know in in the music space very heavily. But I'm interested, kind of looking back at the 
ad industry, the comms industry, the brand industry, has it given you any kind of new points of view or insights on on why it is the way it is, how it is, what you know, what needs to be fixing? I'm just interested if you if you look at it now with your new perspective, what what your thoughts are. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, well, what I found interesting is that I am a little bit in the music industry. I was a little bit in the sports industry. I was a bit in the fashion industry and I'm now going to be more in the fashion industry and I was in the advertising industry. And so I could see the differences in how these systems operated and the, the rules that were accepted in those. For example, the music industry has a lot of problems because a lot of things happen unofficially or off or are relationship based. Um, so that's one of, the, one of the real challenges of that industry, which is why it struggled to hit gender equity in the same way as slightly more professionalized industries. In terms of the ad and the creative industry in its kind of, um, yeah, the sort of PR and media and communications, that industry as such, I think the whole time I've been in it, it's been in an interesting time in that it's been in a real time of change. And the, for my, the start of my career was so focused on TV. I mean, it was like TV campaigns were like the glory piece. Everybody wanted to work on a TV campaign. No one wanted to work on a digital campaign because a digital campaign basically meant resizing banner ads. Um, it seemed so dry and boring versus basically making a big sexy film that you could show all your friends that they'd see before a TV show that they were watching. And um, But what I felt like when I was... Uh, my slight frustration with the industry is that I felt like it was an industry that didn't really want to move, that like change was kind of being forced upon it and it wasn't really like running with change. And that's where you started to get all these challenger agencies cropping up all the time, really. Some having great success, um, others, I don't know, maybe not having the same kinds of success. But I could see where they were forming because people were frustrated because... They were like, why are we still charging a client loads of money to do something that we know is not going to be as effective as actually doing this agile production setup that we can do over here? Um, but it's people will always find excuses and reasons for why they're slow to change, like the ecosystem doesn't support it. Da, da, da. But I think it really comes down to prioritization. And if you've done something well and you've been really good at that, then changing and moving away from that is quite scary because you don't, you're not the expert anymore. You're the expert in this thing that worked for you for so long. Um, and this new media and this new landscape. And I think the thing that's really scary for people is that people who have 30, 40 years of ad traditional advertising experience who know absolutely jack shit about Snapchat and their 14-year-old daughter knows more about how to connect with that audience on Snapchat. Than... So it's kind of that fear that your experience doesn't stand for that much that I think means that people cling to the traditional structure because... This. But of course, your experience counts for so much. But if you're not going to look towards new technologies and embrace it, then you you just are experiencing decline. And I think that's I think that's been a real challenge in the in the industry is that it just hasn't not only not embraced change quick enough, it hasn't pushed for change quick enough. And and um, you know, I love that. I mean, the title of this podcast, like Rebel with the Course, it's it's I love rebels. I think like to be a creative is to be rebellious and to and to be rebellious means really to be progressive. You're constantly got to be challenging the norms of the time and constantly thinking about what's next. Like not accept, like not creating for today, but creating for tomorrow. And I think that's what ambitious people in advertising, marketing, communications want to do. Um, 
but there's this there's I feel there's a friction in the industry between people who want to do that and organizations that won't do that. Um largely because, you know, they're run by people who don't really understand that and don't really need to because they're like, no, this kind of works for me and I kind of just want to keep it. And I understand that. And it's obviously still a role and still a lot of brands are operating in quite traditional models and there's still money in it, but increasingly less. Um, So I think I'm also quite just an individual who is quite restless and like I need change and I need to feel change. Um, Not everybody is that way and I I completely understand that. And sometimes I wish I wasn't so restless because sometimes I'm like, why are you moving flat or why are you painting this wall like even it comes down to that like i need my environment to feel different all the time um but you know like that's so i think probably i'm a little bit too like pushing for change all the time but um that's that's where we all started right like that's why we got into this in the first place so 100 percent. i mean um my old boss heggs used to say um practices change skills remain Mm. It's literally just that. Like, yeah. it's wild how much the world has changed as a whole, but, you know, the advertising industry has changed. In the last episode, um, I was talking to Sally and Jen of Craft Media, and they're just, and, and they were making the point about the role of media has fundamentally changed. It went from being a communications channel to being a sales channel. Mm. Of course, that's going to take some getting used to. Mm. That's one of the things that I think multidisciplinary folk have to really offer the industry that that's really not being kind of grabbed and taking advantage of is that ability to shift and change and take on new challenges and apply that heart in whatever different environment they're given um because that's that's kind of fundamentally kind of part of who we are that's this kind of fundamentally part of the the creative soul um and i just i just feel like there's 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 so much so much like glorious restless rebellious power in that and it's just waiting to explode um our theme for this month at media camp is legacy and it's such an emotive word it's such an emotive word like even even when our um lovely editor mike was was telling me about it i was like oh i don't know if i want to talk about that is that a good thing is it a bad thing and then okay this is why we're talking about it because it's so it's so intense i'm interested in what what kind of legacy means to you and is it something that you feel is important to you in your work or creatives in general because i feel like there's there's going to be a strong point of view one way or another for a lot of people i think for me personally it's very important but i would never use the word like I would use the word impact and I'd say having impact is very important to me. I, on a campaign basis, I hate fake numbers. On a like a personal basis and I'm working on something, did it work? Did it have an impact on people in my relationships? Have I made them feel better? And I think that's really what legacy is. Do I care if people know my name in 30 years time? absolutely not or like posthumously don't care um although i was listening to uh i can't remember his name but the guy who did like bullet coffee and all that kind of thing the guy who thinks he's gonna live till like 400 or something which i'm here for like crack on and i'll I'll drink your coffee but um i i think it was him saying that he didn't care about uh posthumous at all until 
or maybe it was even Kanye, but somebody was like, no, in fact, Kanye is very clear that he does want to be remembered for a long time. Uh, but it was someone basically saying they hadn't, they hadn't cared about that. It was never part of their plan. They weren't interested in, in having a name after they died. And then they were like, as they got older, they started to become really interested in what their legacy was going to be, where, where their blue, blue plaques were going to be, like almost that panic of like, wow, I've been here, I've had my impact on the world, and then what happens? Um, but I just, that, that's, not, that's not something that I really think about or, or am interested in. But, um, but I want to have a positive impact in all the touch points that I, that I get. And like, there's a really nice um, Lauren Hill quote, which is, you may not touch a million lives, but you can light up your own space. And I think that's really true. And I think each of us, that's how I look at legacy. Like each of us touches a few people through our words, through our good deeds. Um, people who plant trees, like what a beautiful, in what a positive impact to have on the, on the next generation, on the world around you. Like that's a legacy worth leaving, I think. Plant, like you know planting a few trees that's like that's legacy um so yeah that that's how i think about it i i love that because it's 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 not it's not setting these like wild potentially unattainable goals of of you know the tradition that legacy you know at least in my mind evokes as soon as i hear the word it's it's just human almost it's just a human impact, a human legacy, which is, is the world a tiny, weeny bit better than it was when you left because you left a tree or because you left someone who was a little bit kinder to someone else who was a little bit kinder to someone else and so on and so forth. Um, and what do you think, this is, this is quite a, a broad question and it's, it's also kind of a, a, it's also kind of questioning your optimism and your pessimism of, of, of the industries that we work in, but what do you think? the legacy of the commercial creative industries is you know if we're looking at music we're looking at media we're looking at advertising obviously you know it, it's something you're really passionate about i obviously am really passionate about gender equity is just a bare fucking minimum excuse my french um mm. but what do you think the legacy would be what other kind of changes would you like to see especially when we're looking at a world, an environment, a society that is changing at the speed that it is right now. Maybe I, I think I've, I've probably been a bit, um, in some ways, critical of um, the creative industries and saying they could do more. But I think on the whole, relative to other industries like banking, for example, or oil, uh, the creative industries have done a lot of good. Like m most agencies have pro bono clients. Um, you know, at BBH, they worked a lot with Refuge, which was such an important client and really invested in making sure that that was great work and that um, it was going to get seen. And that's where the creative industries have a huge amount of impact. Like culture does move the world uh, and and culture can move through people like faster than anything, you know, like um, I find it amazing. For example, I think one of the best marketing campaigns I've seen recently was by Fred again, like his album campaign was like pretty faultless from a marketing standpoint like the storytelling was brilliant the distribution was like spotless and the impact has been huge and um and it's that kind of like match effect you know you light it and it's like that that visual dominoes it can just go and and that's where i think i i'm just like pushing creative industries to be like let's all push ourselves like let's not get Yes, there's going to be boring stuff and there's going to be boring clients, but 
we we can move the world, you know? Like, if you see what David Attenborough's trying to do, I love that. That's like, you know, you have, in terms of taking what you have, which is essentially an entertainment tool. I mean, that's why people watch TV. It's entertainment. And being like, okay, well, if I've got an audience, what do I want to do with it? And given that the creative industry's specialty is in building and moving audience... Really thinking about what we want to do that is important. And of course, like in a technical sense, not every brief you work on is going to move it in the right way because you're not always in control. And that's why that's one of the main reasons I always did things outside of work because I'd see people frustrated because they weren't in control. And you're not in control if, if the, the money in industry is in control. So if the money's telling you to do one thing, then you either reject the money or you do what the money's telling you to do. Um, so that's why I really think it's important that, you know, if you're ambitious to build stuff outside because there's no money and therefore they're in control. <laughs> um, but I think the creative industries do and will always have a much bigger impact. And actually, you know, com- com- talking about money, like it will have a, they have a much bigger impact on the world than they're paid for, really. Uh, the, 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 you know, people think the money, money moves the world, but, but it's culture that moves the world and, and often money follows that. So, um, but like, yeah, I think they there's power basically, and and it's just down to down to how we use it. And generally, I think it's used as a force for good. And of course, I just think that we could use it as a faster force for good. But people are nervous; like we're always nervous, and everybody's trying to get things right. And I think particularly when it comes to gender equity, but like really racial, like racial um, equality, which is so not moving really at the rate that it should be and a lot of the times you feel like god how are we still in this situation but how do we learn we learn from amazing books and we learn from amazing podcasts like um there was a brilliant podcast series uh done by dj flight about the windrush generation and telling those stories and you know that's a way that i can understand stories that i was a part of so creative industries in whatever format um I think overall they leave a positive legacy, but I just think like I'm on the case for us to keep accelerating it. Yeah, do more. <laughs> totally with you. I will. I will literally be following you behind you every step of the way. Um, and so just before we leave, um, I know that you have a weekly newsletter of five pieces of good creative culture content. So I thought it would be lovely to leave our our listeners with kind of. One of your one or two or three or however many you want of your like kind of watch, read, listen picks of the month. What do you, Lex, think we should be paying attention to? Great question. Um, do you know, I like, one of the things I loved about doing that newsletter is it means that I have to have read something, I have to have watched something and I have to have listened to something and I have to then think about whether that was good, whether that's worth recommending. And if not, then I better read something else quickly. <laughs> so that's what I kind of recommend. So it keeps me it keeps me um, connected. So I've been reading um, the past couple. I've been reading Bono's memoir, which I'm really enjoying. I was not a U2 fan. Uh, I, I don't massive. I mean, I think everyone knows with or without you and um, Beautiful Day, but they're not a band that I've like followed closely. But he's an interesting person. He's obviously an activist as well as a musician. And his memoir it jumps back and forward. It's kind of all over the place. It explores lots of things. Their journey was radically different to mine in that they like were basically huge successful rock stars from like 21. Um, but it's 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 an interesting exploration of creativity, humanity, confidence, self-belief, faith. Um, there's lots of things in there. There's lots of nice little anecdotes of um, 
his meetings with people like Gorbachev, but like Bill Clinton, as well as uh, creative kind of um, innovators like Brian Eno. So that would be my read pick. Um, my watch pick, I watched a great, I love a documentary. Um, I do watch films, but my, my favorite thing really is a good documentary. And I, there's a there's a BBC iPlayer documentary called, um, I think it's We Can Be Both, it's called, but it's about Virgil Abloh and uh, the impact that he had. And like I said, I mean, he's he is definitely someone that I look to in terms of uh, a slightly unconventional, well, in fact, a very unconventional career. You know, he became a designer from a, his degree was in architecture, which is actually the same as um, Tinker Hatfield, who was one of the originators of the Nike, uh, he designed Nike Air. Yeah, it's Nike Air, pretty sure it's Nike Air Max. Um, but he was a, he was in, uh, inspired by architecture as well. But the designer world traditionally is very white, very um we went to London College of Fashion and then we moved through that way and he was not from that background at all and a lot of people were not interested in his point of view so um uh and and so what he did and what he represented for young black creatives I think is is hugely important that's my watch pick and my listen pick uh as well as your brilliant podcast and kind of going through the archives of that because I've been really enjoying that is um uh there's a writer called Phoebe Lovett and she has a podcast called Deep Read, uh, which I think would be interesting for people of this podcast because it's essentially uh, conversations, open ex- open explorations with with creatives. Um, so the one that I just listened to was a conversation with Elijah, who's behind, um, I think it's called Yellow Square. Have you seen those? You've probably seen their like post-it notes with handwriting on. You've, you've seen them on Instagram. They're quite, the, the design of them is quite recognizable. So um He's again. He was an interesting character for me to listen to, and I haven't met him. Um, but because he's a music manager, so he and he talked a lot about having a day a day job and a night job, and having a public face and a private face. And it's something that I kind of go back and forth with a lot because, as I said, I do wear a lot of hats, and um, sometimes you think, you know, probably like I make house music. Like, do people care that I work in marketing who listen to house music and just want to go raving? <laughs> probably not. So, like, you know, do I want to talk about that on Instagram? Maybe not. Um, you know, that kind of back and forth. But so he he was super interesting on that, super interesting on social media. So that is my that's my listen pick. Thank you so much. That is such a like lovely delight of just um, variety that I'm obviously going to immediately go and watch and listen to while I. Uh, finish up work for the day so thank you so much for this conversation Lex thank you so much for your openness and your honesty um it's been such a joy talking to you as always um just thank you for coming on the Media Camp Magazine podcast it's been a joy to have you and it's my absolute pleasure thank you you're such a brilliant interviewer and such good questions and I thoroughly enjoyed myself